0: This Ash Wednesday, Day of Reflection, given February 26, 2020, by Father Justin Fulton on the theme, A Stripping Down So That Only Love Remains, took place at Our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House. These and other recordings are available at our website, goodcounselretreat.com. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Lord. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be troubled and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and keep watch. He advanced a little and fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible for the hour might pass by him. He said, Abba, Father, All things are possible to you. Take this cup away from me, but not what I will, but you will. When he returned, he found them asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not undergo the test. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Withdrawing again, he prayed, saying the same thing. Then he returned once more and found them asleep, for they could not keep their eyes open and did not know what to answer him. He returned a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is to be handed over to sinners. Get up, let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. Well, good morning, everybody I have to admit uh my Godfather's here, my uncle bill, right there and I made mention to him i I can't believe he's that bored <laughs> <laughs> that he would come up and have to suffer with us <laughs> on a day of recollection. I think you've got more things to do, but this is a this is really something i mean this i don't know if we kidnap some kids from the orphanage and put them in here to make it look fuller or what this is impressive um you know i know lent is a somewhat somber time i have to tell you a quick story about a guy named father pat welsh back in philadelphia he was our dean of men uh, basically the guy that was to instruct us in discipline in the seminary pat welsh is about 6'2 220 built like a rock and he is he loves lent and he kind of gave that to us too Lent, really, I, it's somber, yes. It's stripped down. We really shouldn't be singing all that much. But he calls it happy. He always, I texted him this morning, because uh, I'll mention it in the, in the, in the collect, in the, in the readings today, and in the, in the prayer of the faithful afterwards. Um, there's some in stuff in there that he always laughed about. He loves Lent. Why? Because, frankly, Satan's getting kicked in the face right now. How can we not love that? And we sit here and we put on our sackcloth and ashes and we get all stone-faced and we become the frozen chosen, even more so during Lent. But literally, do you think Satan is looking forward to this time? No, because he's getting hammered by you all. And you're offering your prayers and your supplications and your sacrifices for people who don't even know Jesus? And that's the beauty of the body of Christ, that, you know, when you stepped and you brought your child to accept the faith... At baptism, your child didn't make that choice. Your child didn't make those words and say, I do to all this. You said it on behalf of the child. Why? Because we all know that we're one in Christ. We're one body of Christ. And when your child leaves the faith or someone you love leaves the faith and you see a world that's getting smaller and smaller when it comes to people actually darkening the doorsteps and the doorway of a church, you can still profess that faith on behalf of them today they aren't whispering it with their mouths, but you can on their behalf, Satan cannot stand it. Yet that's what we're doing right now in every day that we live our lives. So from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of the church, thank you. You know, I always tell folks, the church and the priests never thank you for your faith. And we do a really good job of telling you how to live your lives. Like we got a moral code to live. I get that. We all struggle with it. We all fall. We tell you how to live your lives, we do a really good job of taking your money. <laughs> and when we do a bad job of that, we do an even better job of taking it anyway. We never get up here from the pulpit and say thank you for your faith. I get it. It's tough to be Catholic right now. Sometimes I put on the collar and I'm embarrassed to. Sometimes you go to downtown Lincoln, you get called a name. You stand in an airport. And a mother grabs her kid and takes him away from the priest. I get it. But you guys get it even more so. Why? Because you're the ones that are in the world. You wear your ash today. People know that you're Catholic. You are the apostles sent out into the world. We're the ones that sit behind desks. (laughs) You guys are the ones out in your cubicles, in your homes, in your schools, wherever. You're the ones out there living it. And frankly, you are the apostles out there. So on behalf of the church, thank you for your faith in Jesus Christ. He's with you. He's with all of us. And frankly, this battle is already won. We know how it ends up. That's why we relive it every day at the Mass, except Good Friday. This is why we relive it during our 40-day campaign of Lent. We go through the sufferings. We go through the trials. We go through the tribulations. He dies, he rises, and the first words he says back to us after he rises, be not afraid. You have nothing to fear. Jesus wins. He already has, and you share in the win through the sacraments of the church. Now, the reason why I chose this reading today, the Gospel of Mark, if you ever look at the Gospel of Mark, how many of you have ever seen The Passion of the Christ, the movie by Mel Gibson? It's a good movie, however, I can't stand it. And let me tell you why. I think it puts way too much emphasis on the physical sufferings of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's like what it's all about. Now, certainly there's some mental stuff in there too, but it's all gory, which is true. I mean, it's accurate. The pain of it all. But really, he struggles, and what Mel Gibson does is put so much force on the actual physical that we forget about the spiritual and the mental. If you actually look, I took this from the Gospel of Mark. If you go through the Gospel of Mark from the agony of the garden, the whole week there, holy week, all that kind of stuff, you go to the agony of the garden, the trial before the Sanhedrin, there's really only one or two lines that Mark actually talks about the physical sufferings of Christ. He was led out to Calvary to be crucified. That's about it. He spends a lot more time talking about the mental suffering, a whole chapter here on the agony. You actually hear the words of Jesus crying out to his father, if you can take this cup, take it. But he's being abandoned by his father. His closest people around him, could you not stay with me for one hour? They're abandoning him. And think about it in human terms. Obviously, the divine, but the human part of Jesus here. What is he suffering from? He's not suffering physically yet, he's sweating blood. Why? Fear, the emotion, being abandoned by the people closest to him. Yes, he sees the cross, he knows it's coming, but he's alone. The desert is back. The people who are supposed to be around him are abandoning him. Don't we go through the same stuff as humans? The one that I pledge my life to. The children that I love so much. The people that I care for so much. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, feel alone sometimes? How many of us suffer with anxiety Depression, worry, fear. You turn on the TV or you turn on your Facebook, all you do is see fear and anger, division, dissension, discord, no unity whatsoever. And we're playing right into the devil's hands. Jesus went through that same stuff and he goes through it with us today. We are united to him in his body. And I would submit to you, and maybe this is something for you all to ponder today, Don't simply concentrate on the physical sufferings of Jesus. Think of the mental anguish. What hurts more? To be abandoned by those whom you love in your time of trial? Or some physical hurt? What stings longer? What wounds deeper? We say it every week in the creed. We believe in things visible and invisible, the seen and the unseen. Think about those interior wounds that we all have that seemingly will not be healed. They have already been healed through the death, the suffering, and the resurrection of Jesus already. Look at the Gospel of Mark. All of it really isn't centered on the physical sufferings of Jesus. It's the emotional fear, the agony of it all, the agony in the garden. Let me find this here real quick in math, Mark chapter 15. It was 9 o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. That's all they say about the physical sufferings of it. They talk about the two revolutionaries, one on the right, one on the left. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Jesus isn't even talking. The only time Jesus talks in here... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's more of Jesus' verbiage in the agony in the garden, questioning Peter. Hey, dude, you love me. Why are you falling asleep on me? Where is everybody? Why am I alone? Now I'm starting to feel the fear. All that kind of stuff. He cries out to his Father in heaven, If you can take this cup, let it pass. He has more words in the agony in the garden than he actually has at his own death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cries out a loud cry and he breathes his last. That's it. The mental and the spiritual, the loneliness, the fatigue of it all, the battering is what Jesus is suffering from more than the physical. I'm not trying to downplay the physical at all. But I'm trying to relate it to each and every one of us. We know that physical wounds heal. The spiritual ones sting even more. But this is the beauty of it all, that you have Jesus to turn to, that he suffers with you, and he's went through it, and he says, it's okay. Remember, we can see things through the lens of the cross and the death, or we can see things through the lens of the resurrection. And that's what Lent is really all about, taking stock and where we have the sufferings and the trials, but then remembering that hard rains don't last. They produce rainbows. The death does not have the final say. It produces the resurrection. And there is no resurrection without a cross. And when you have a cross, it leads to the resurrection. So everything that we do in Lent should be pointing towards that day of the resurrection, that Sunday. How many of you have heard this story before about my dad? I apologize. Sometimes I get very repetitive. Have I ever talked about my dad for any of you all? If you were at the meal a couple of weeks ago for Catholic social services, I, I, I shared a story about my dad. I think I'll share it today because I think it points out to what we're trying to get at, a stripping down so that only love can remain. My dad was a Marine in Vietnam and he served uh, in the bush. Basically, he loaded up artillery and that's what he did. 697, I can't remember Bill, 6970, I think it was. So he's a Marine in Vietnam, and that's actually how he met my mother. They were pen pals. They wrote to each other and they fell in love with each other. That's a whole other story. That'll be another day of recollec- another day of recollection. But anyway, when dad was in Vietnam, he was subjected to Agent Orange. Didn't really know it, but he was exposed to it. Agent Orange, the chemical stuff that they used in there, napalm, all that kind of thing. In the mid-1990s, Dad was diagnosed with diabetes. And frankly, we've got diabetes in our family. He was probably going to get it anyway. But we kind of found out that maybe because of his subjection to Agent Orange that he contracted this pretty aggressive form of diabetes. And it was a little bit heightened than your typical stuff. So Dad kept his own for quite a while. I guess it was probably 12, 13 years. He did all right with his diabetes. And then shortly right before I went to seminary in 2008... Dad started to show signs of wear and tear. And in 2008, he started to show signs of cognitive vascular dementia. He would have little ischemic brain strokes. He wouldn't even know it. He'd be talking with you, and then his mind would just start to drift. And it got to a point where it was so bad that he actually lost his job. And that kind of affected all of us and myself in seminary. But he lost his job. And we started to see a guy who always provided for us start to wither a little bit. A couple years after that, he started to have heart issues. Again, the diabetes is starting to take hold. He's starting to lose his mind a little bit. Now his heart's starting to give way. And he's, to this day, he actually has four stents in his heart. Thank God he's never had a heart attack. But at the age of 71, he's got four stents in his heart now. A couple years after that, he was diagnosed with colon cancer. He defeated that though. He started to shuffle. Anyone with ischemic brain strokes and cognitive vascular dementia, if anyone's ever had to suffer through that or see another person suffer with that, you start to see that they can't really walk as well as they used to. They start to lose some of their physical faculties because the inside's eaten away. And dad started to fall a little bit. Dad's a prideful old Marine and he really shouldn't have been riding his motorcycle, but I think it was March 10, 2012, he was riding his motorcycle at the S-curves in Talmadge, Nebraska, and I don't know if he had one of his brain strokes or whatnot, but at 65 miles an hour, he went off an S-curve and right into a soybean field. Luckily, there wasn't any barbed wire. he would have been chopped in half. Finally, he landed it, but in landing it, he broke his neck, shoulder blade, and six ribs. He was actually saved by Kathy Florence's husband, Jim Florence, and Val Abel, if I'm not mistaken. I think Val was driving down that road and didn't see it happen, but saw that there was someone needing help. Anyway, dad came back from that, too. But if you've ever seen anyone with diabetes, when you you get better, you don't really fully heal. You know, it's just hard for people who are diabetic to heal 100%. And his shuffling, after all that, started to get worse, and he would fall. He would suffer falls. And then one day, he fell outside the house on 16th Street, back home in Auburn, and Ryan Gertis, the guy that lives, used to live across the street, found him. And Dad had fallen, and he couldn't get up, and he couldn't walk. And he had separated a ligament from his quadricep muscle to his kneecap. And basically, it was as if his lower, bo- lower leg was just hanging there. So he had to get that surgically repaired, and he got it surgically repaired, and he did the physical therapy and the rehab, but he's never been able to really come back from that one. And shortly thereafter, he's really kind of on a walker, and he started to lose even more faculties. With all this stuff piling up, basically, he's had a slow death over the last 11, 12, 13 years, to the point where he's now on a walker. Uh, he really can't feed himself. His short-term memory shot. I mean, his short, he's not a very confident guy when he talks, so he's just very quiet a lot of times. He won't even want to engage with you in conversation because he's, he knows he's going to make a fool of himself because he can't carry on the conversation. Matter of fact, sometimes when I go home, knowing that his short-term memory is shot, but his long-term memory's OK, I'll go home and I'll play tricks on him. And I'll say something to the effect, boy, that President Reagan sure is a good president, isn't he? And dad will be right there. I mean, he'll be back in 1984. Sometimes he won't remember that I'm a priest and that allows me to get away with a few more things. (laughs) But anyway, dad's just really kind of had it. He needs 24-hour care. He can't clothe himself. He can't bathe himself. He really can't feed himself. Mom loads him up with his shots. He really doesn't sleep that well. He can't walk. And now he's on dialysis three days a week. And his kidneys are falling apart. Tell you all that story to tell you another story. That's kind of how I work here. A couple of years ago, he uh, was brought to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, and what seemed to be, was supposed to be maybe a two-day stay, kind of got really bad. I mean, he had so much stuff going on with him that one thing you would take care of, then another thing would happen over here. And before you know it, I mean, he was there for about a week, maybe a week and a half. I can't remember exactly. But it got to a point where I was kind of talking with the doctors and nurses off to the side that, hey, do we need to start making arrangements, or is he going to be okay, you know, secretly without telling mom all that? So he's at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Our next door neighbor, Phil Shaw, from back home in Auburn, the guy that lives across the street or across the alley right next to us. We are 1413. He's 1417 16th Street. Phil had a heart attack that exact same week that dad was in the hospital. And so they brought Phil up to Nebraska Heart Institute. And the whole time that dad was actually in the hospital, and once he found out that Phil had fell ill, All my dad could really talk about that whole stay was Phil. I sure hope my buddy Phil's doing okay. Boy, it's too bad that he's had a heart attack. I hope Diane, his wife, is doing okay with everything. The whole time during that seven days or that week and a half, all he could do was think about his buddy Phil. And when the hospital nurses would make their rounds every hour, he would ask, hey, how's Phil Shaw doing? He didn't understand that Phil was actually at the Heart Institute, not at St. Elizabeth. So the nurses really didn't know. Dad kind of pulls through it all, and then we have to go pick him up. Mom doesn't drive on the highway. She's a little Filipino. She's scared to death of the highway. So he got discharged, actually, on a Tuesday, which is my day off. So I went and picked Mom and Dad up at St. E's and drove them back to Auburn. And that whole drive down 70th Street to Highway 2, Highway 2 southeast to Nebraska City, 75 South to Auburn. Dad was the same thing. Same way. I wonder how Phil's doing. It'll be good to get Phil back home. Phil had been discharged after a couple, three days. It'll be good to see him. I sure hope Diane's doing okay. That was consuming his mind that whole way down there. So we get home, drive up into the driveway, and I actually see Phil next door working on his car drinking an old Milwaukee light. (laughs) Fella had had a heart attack, but he's sitting there drinking a beer. We get Dad wheeled into the house. We get him on his walker. He walks over to his little chair and then kind of collapses down and just starts to sit there. And he kept on asking, boy, I hope Phil's home. hope he comes over. I'd love to see him. Well, Phil saw that we were home, so Phil comes over, rings the doorbell. Dad turns his shoulder, and his face just lights up. His buddy Phil's there. and Phil comes over, and Dad, being a prideful old Marine, was going to hug his buddy Phil it was the sweetest thing it takes him about a minute to maybe get up so he slowly gets up onto his walker gives phil a hug and then collapses back down and then phil and I, and phil and my dad start to converse my dad goes well it's good to see you're back phil how are you doing i'm doing okay bob it's good to see you're back too it's good to have you back phil how are you doing <laughs> it's good to have you back bob I'm doing okay. Boy, it sure is good to see you, Phil. I mean, that's the extent of the conversation because, again, Dad can't really carry on a conversation. So, literally, it was like me watching a ping-pong match, just back and forth, back and forth. And after a couple, three minutes of that, Phil was like, well, I'd probably better get home to Diane. We don't want her thinking that we're drinking alcohol over here, Bob. So, I'm going to go back home. So, Dad shakes his hand. Phil goes back across the alley to his house. And then it's just me and Dad. In the living room. And dad just looks at me and says, Boy, it sure is good to have Phil home. I'm like, Yeah, it sure is. No, it really is good to see him. He gave us a scare there, didn't he? I'm like, Yeah, he sure did. It's good to have Phil home. And I go, Well, dad, didn't you hear how excited and how happy Phil was to have you home? And I asked that to dad, and dad looked at me and just stared kind of blankly, confused. And he said, me home? Where have I been? He didn't realize for the last week, week and a half, he was in a hospital. That he was pretty darn close to death. Whatever brain matter was functioning in his mind that day and that whole week was focused on the other and their own good. And frankly, in my four and a half years of priesthood, I say this truthfully. I think that's the most beautiful thing I've seen. That's really the journey of Lent in the spiritual life. The journey of the Christian life isn't so much me and my perfection. It's about care for the other. Love of God by loving our neighbor. The fact that my dad was stripped down so brutally. No longer could he feed himself. No longer could he hold a job. No longer could he go hunting. No longer did he know really what any of his kids did. No longer could he go fishing, no longer could he hold his bowels, no longer could he eat, no longer could he clothe himself. He was completely stripped down and humiliated. And the only thing that remained was the only thing that needs to remain. God. In his mental loss, in his physical loss, stripped down, alone. Why? Because only God remains. It's beautiful. Really, in essence, if you go to the Gospels, you have to become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Lent is about, and that's where my dad is. If my dad dies in two hours this afternoon, so be it. What is a little child? A little child is totally dependent on another for their own well-being and for their own joy. When we get older, we start to provide for ourselves, and sometimes we dismiss the fact that we even need God. But the whole circle of life comes back. That for a prideful guy like my dad, that Marine, he had to be stripped down this way so that he can only rely on God for his own well-being. And that's the whole point of this whole talk, a stripping down so that love can remain. That's what we go through in Lent. We don't do it for our own perfection. We don't do it to get back into our swimsuits. We We don't do it so that we have a second chance at our New Year's resolution that we've already failed at. We do it so that only Jesus remains. That we give away material possessions, the best of. That we do these sacrifices. We give up some kind of food knowing that if we give up some kind of food, we trust that the Holy Spirit or God will get that food to someone else who needs it. We get out of the way and we let our pride go so that only Jesus can remain. Jesus walks with us in this battle. And he's already won the battle. This is a happy time. Somber yes. But let us remember that Jesus has already won the fight. And so I encourage you, as I will encourage myself today, when I think about the penances that I'm supposed to undertake and I'll probably fail at, am I doing this for my own pride? Or am I doing this so that we can allow Jesus to shine through our thoughts, words, and our actions? May we be stripped down and, frankly, pummeled so that only Jesus, only love, only God can remain. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.